the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. He is with us. He is guiding us. He is empowering us. He is helping us to do what he's called us to do. The people who most experience the presence and the power of Christ are the ones who are doing what he said to do. Go and make disciples. Welcome to a Monday edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely, our teacher. He's the senior pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. And what a great way to start the week, talking about the Great Commission. Pastor Leighton is in the book of Matthew and is going to wrap up this message for us today. The church, by the way, is on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. When we receive Jesus Christ as Savior, we must necessarily also receive Him as Lord. A person who does not receive Him as Lord is not a true disciple and is not saved. When a person genuinely confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord, they are immediately saved, become a disciple, and are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's all or nothing. He's either Savior and Lord, or He's not. Now this is illustrated in Luke chapter 18 where we find the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus asking the question, what must I do to be saved? And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now this rich young ruler described himself as being very religious and very moral. And it's obvious he had a great respect for Jesus because it was to Jesus he came to ask this very important question, how can I get eternal life? And Jesus never challenged any of this rich young ruler's claims. But when he said, one thing you lack... Give away your earthly riches for riches in heaven and follow me. The man became very sad because he was very wealthy. He was unwilling to follow Jesus in obedience because he treasured his earthly treasures more than he treasured Jesus. In other words, what he owned, owned him. What he possessed, possessed him. The true disciple is the person who has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, whatever that may require. A true disciple has been filled with the Holy Spirit and has given, been given a nature that desires to please God. 
And when they choose for a time a course of disobedience and sin, they are never comfortable continuing in sin because of that new nature that lives within. Teaching obedience to all of Jesus' commands is the heart of making disciples. He says all nations. And and by the way, did you notice how often the word all appears in this brief passage? Um, All authority, all nations, all that I've commanded, always. The aim of Jesus' disciples is to make disciples of all people everywhere without distinction, to share the gospel without prejudice. To make disciples of all nations doesn't require a person to leave their homeland. We are living in the middle of a mission field right here. Did you know that the San Francisco Bay Area is the least church metropolitan area in the United States, followed by Seattle? but we are the least churched area of the United States. Our mission field starts here. In fact, if we can just reach our neighbors, many of our neighbors, because of the environment we now live in, are connected with people overseas. And if we can share the gospel with them, they can share the gospel with others. And we can do missions work without even leaving San Bruno. Making disciples involves baptizing them, and teaching them. The first is an event. Baptism is an event. And it's not necessarily a one-time event. I was baptized at the age of seven. I know more now than I did at the age of seven. And, but I knew enough at the age of seven that my dad who baptized me said, I, I want to baptize you, son. A few years ago, we were back in uh, Israel with the, with the church group, and some of the people in the church group wanted to be baptized in the River Jordan, and why not? That's where John the Baptist and Jesus did some baptizing, and I'm standing in the waters, and I'm baptizing others, and I'm thinking, you know, it's been a long time since I was baptized. I think it's time to get baptized again. And so uh, Pastor David uh, Johnston, Dr. David Johnston, baptized me. But the first is an event, and the second is a lifelong process. So let's start with the first, the baptism. You know, baptism has been a part of church life from the very, very beginning. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the foundation of the church, after Peter preached to the audience there, and the audience was stirred, and they asked the question, what must we do? His answer was, repent and be baptized. The first sermon of the church was summarized in the words, repent and be baptized. Now, be baptized literally means to be immersed in water. It is a way of us expressing our identification with Jesus Christ, identifying with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's important. It's very, very important. Jesus said so. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, Jesus made it very clear that it's disbelief and not a failure to be baptized that precludes salvation. Otherwise, the thief on the cross next to Jesus couldn't have received eternal life because he didn't have the opportunity to be baptized. But if we have received Jesus Christ and have the opportunity to be baptized, we should. We should be baptized. In fact, when you look through the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church, baptism always followed conversion. When, when those 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they were baptized immediately. 
When the Ethiopian received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he was baptized. When Paul received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he was baptized. When Cornelius received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he was baptized. Baptism is a divinely commanded act of faith and obedience. And when you read through the book of Acts, when people believed, they were immediately baptized. A person who's a believer and has not been baptized is at best a disobedient believer. And if you're a believer and you've not yet been baptized, you need to do it. You just need to do it in baptism. And you can do it. You can do it today. And then we're to be baptized in the name of, which means in the authority of or by the authority of. And you notice that the word name is singular. And it points to the fact that God is singular. There's one God. And yet... We're to be baptized in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons identified. It's a Trinitarian description. You know, there are some things the Bible teaches that for 2,000 years, the most brilliant minds have been trying to pack into a description, and and the Trinity is one of the most challenging to describe. In fact, they they can't describe it in one sentence. It takes three sentences to describe the Trinity. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. Three sentences, God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. God described himself as one in Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God, three persons. How do we know there's three persons? Because all three were in the same place at the same time. They all showed up for Jesus' baptism. Jesus was being baptized. Uh, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, and a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All three together in the same place at the same time. Did you know there are some pulpits today that preach that God was God the Father in the Old Testament, God the Son for 33 years, and is now God the Holy Spirit? And people who teach that are not teaching a biblical theology. In fact, they, they can't explain how all three are in the same place if they're basing their, their theology in that fashion. Now, being baptized is only the beginning, because after that follows being taught to observe all that I have commanded you, being taught. Teaching is one of the main functions of a church, and that's one of the reasons why churches look like classrooms, because there's a lot of teaching, and there's an emphasis on teaching. But Jesus here is not talking about teaching for teaching's sake. We're not here just to get information about God, or about Jesus, or about the Bible. Because if it just gets to the head and it doesn't get to the heart, it hasn't really gotten where it needs to go. We're not talking about just the head, but the heart and our actions. Jesus was constantly urging his followers to live in a manner pleasing to God. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's a small word with a big significance. All that I have commanded you. We can't just pick and choose the stuff we like. And teach on that or focus on that. We need to be aware of all that Christ has commanded us. And then Jesus makes this incredible promise, I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you. When the angel announced Jesus, he announced that he would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus is saying, I am with you to the end of time. Now, that end of time is significant for us. Why? Because it tells us that he's not speaking of a 
temporary residence with the disciples of the first century, but he is with all of his disciples from then to the end of time. That means us. He's promised to be with us. He has not given us a commission and then said, just do it the best you can. He is with us. He is guiding us. He is empowering us. He is helping us to do what he's called us to do. And when we do what Jesus told us to do, he is with us. Or another way of saying this is, the people who most experience the presence and the power of Christ are the ones who are doing what he said to do. Go and make disciples. Pastor Leighton Sheely with a message about the Great Commission on this edition of Study Verse by Verse. And if you missed part one, you can find it on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. This outreach is a nonprofit effort, a radio broadcast effort by the congregation of Church of the Highlands. And they appreciate knowing that you listen. You can share that fact with us on the website for the ministry, studyversebyverse.com. You can also become a financial partner with us. Uh, When you go there, you can give safely at studyversebyverse.com. Have a great rest of your day and join us tomorrow at this same time, if you can, when we'll begin a new message and Pastor Layton will help us study verse by verse.